Welcome to the Auckland Bioengineering Institute podcast. Hello, my name is Ruben Keeling. Thank you for listening. Uh, for this episode, I wanted to talk to a couple of our talented women that we have here at the Institute. And joining me to do that are two special guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, um, I'm Alice Clark, and I am a senior researcher here at um, the ABI. Um, my res- research focuses mostly on how we get oxygen from our environment into our bodies. Um, and oxygen is the thing that keeps us alive, so it's pretty important stuff. Um, and the way that we um, get oxygen before we're born is from mum's blood via the placenta, and after we're born and as we get older, it's from the air into our lungs. So I'm mostly interested in how the formation and the structure of the placenta and lungs contributes to how well we breathe and um, how healthy we grow. Uh, I'm Jennifer Kruger. I'm also a senior researcher here at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. And I run a group which is looking at pelvic floor muscle function in women in particular. And mostly as this pertains to childbirth, and looking at what happens when things go wrong and the consequences of that related to pelvic floor muscle function in particular. I've been here a while and we are also now looking at instrumentation development to help us measure things so that we can better understand how things potentially go wrong. Fantastic. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how how you came to be here? So I joined the ABI in 2010, and that was following a PhD that I did in sport and exercise science. And my area of interest at that time was in childbirth and the elite athlete. I then uh, managed to secure one of the Rutherford postdoc fellowships, and I had a two-year tenure which was hosted by the ABR here, and it was really in looking at instrumentation development to measure pelvic floor muscle function. Um, So that's how I started, and during that time, I started a special interest group, a research group on pelvic floor muscle function based at the ABI. So bringing engineers and clinicians together. Right, great. How about you, Alice? So I came here about 10 years ago, um, all of my degrees, my undergraduate degree and my PhD were in maths, um, but during my PhD I had got involved in research in obstetrics, so um, looking at kind of biological applications of maths, and at a conference where I was presenting that work, I happened to bump into an ABI researcher who was giving one of the keynotes at the conference and uh, it looked, ABI work looked really exciting and I got talking to this researcher and through that I became aware of some of the opportunities here. So I arrived at the ABI about 10 years ago straight out of my PhD um, to do a postdoc and since then have supplemented my maths skills with skills in imaging and building things and all sorts of other great bioengineering tools. Great. And, and what, uh, what inspired you to follow this, that kind of research path? 
so I had um, finished my undergraduate degree. I'd gone out and done some work for a while for the civil service in Britain. It wasn't overly inspiring. Um, and so I decided to do some, to do a degree, um, basically to kind of further my skills and see if I could get into something a little bit more specialised. And I kind of wandered into a maths department in Adelaide and the person who became my supervisor had just had a really exciting conversation with a local obstetrician about this problem that he wanted to solve. So she was really excited, he was really excited and I just by chance walked into the room about an hour later and also became really excited. Um, And the more I did the biological research, the more I kind of saw the applications and thought that's what I want to do and so the ideas kind of progressed over time. So um, coming from it, the other side, really, I my background is actually clinical. So I was in nursing and midwifery for, um, that was my undergraduate degree, and for 15 years that's what I practiced as. And during that time I developed a real interest actually in sports and exercise, so in particular um, running and high-impact sport, and made it kind of a thing that I would look after and progress women athletes during labour. And it was observational that these some women had a more difficult time during the delivery. And that sort of prompted me to go back to school and to do a bit of research around it. So I did a master's first and then ended up doing a PhD and really exploring how those muscles potentially change, uh, perhaps as a result of the sport. And that led on to, well, how do we quantify those changes? And um, it was, I guess... A little bit of serendipity that I bumped into some researchers here at the ABI who are very skilled in measurement and producing instrumentation to do difficult biological measurements. And so that's how I met one of my potential um, collaborators and colleagues who I now work closely with, and we developed some instrumentation during my PhD to measure some things. And that kind of led on Mm. from there, really. But... um, yeah, it's been interesting. I think, yeah. I think the more things that you research and can measure, yeah, the more questions, the more questions you, you have. get, <laughs> right. yeah. and that yeah. is what drives the excitement and keeps you going forward, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. Were there any um, other women in science that you had as a role model or inspiration? Um, I think for me, I have always admired. Um, a woman called Dr. Catherine Moore, and she is initially an engineer. She was primarily an engineer and then went on to do her training in medicine. She became a practicing clinician and has ended up a very successful in the commercial realm with creating something called the Da Vinci Robot, which helps um, with robotic surgery and is very successful. And she really has been inspirational for me along the way. Uh, a real synergy of the two bioengineering and yeah. medicine really yeah. so for me I've been pretty lucky to work with some great women all the way through um, my PhD supervisor Yvonne Stokes in Adelaide um, was really the person that got me into the biological physiological area 
And then when I came to work at the ABI, um, I joined Marin Tafai's group. So for the last 10 years I've been here, I've been uh, learning a lot from her. And then there's also the women that I work with and do projects with, including Jenny and... Uh, oh, and Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And um, also Kelly Burrows, who I've been working with for this whole of the last um, yeah. 10 years. So I think there's been a great collection of women that I actually work with mm. almost mm. every day who have been yeah. helping me. And through. I guess that's much the same for me in some respects, although Catherine has always been someone I've looked up to. I work with amazing women in the field. Yeah. Uh, I work really closely with some international collaborators, Chantelle Dumoulin, who's actually visiting at the moment, but also closely with Alice and Mirren. So yeah. That's been good. Continues to be good. <laughs> and obviously outside of the ABI, I have heaps of awesome women I work with. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've an obstetrician, Sally Collins in Oxford that I work with, and Joe James, who is in obstetrics and gynaecology, who I have pretty much been on this entire journey yeah. with. Yeah. So lots of people kind of from all spectrums of seniority and things. Great. And how, how, do, you th- how do you feel things have changed since you started out? For me, I think they've changed enormously. Mm. I think um, it's much more accepted now for women to have a career pathway in science than it was when I started. Mm. Uh, there's lots still to be done. I don't think we're done yet at all. But it's um, more normal, if you like, to yeah. have a career in science as a woman, certainly than it was even a decade ago. Mm. Um, so I think there are more opportunities. There's more uh, acceptability in many of the disciplines for women to follow a career path. Right. Uh, it's not perfect, mm. but it's better. That's my feeling anyway. How about you, Alice? So um, it's kind of a difficult question for me to answer. I don't feel like I been around that long Um, although I have I suppose it's been 20 (laughs) years since I did my undergraduate degree Um, there were not many women doing maths and physics and things like engineering at uni back then Mm. but since then it has become a lot more even Mm. a lot more women in STEM subjects which is awesome to see and I think that the main change that will start to come through is more and more women in senior mm. roles. I think that's what we still need to see. We need to see that follow-through of women taking leadership positions. Mm. And there's so much understanding about taking time off to have children or mm. different work schedules suddenly around here. Mm. So it's difficult to comment on whether that has changed or whether it's always been yeah supportive for those kind of things and there's definitely things that we can still improve on but it's um and I don't think it's global or universal that this is the situation Mm. certainly here and probably other places first world places yeah yeah Yeah, we talked to 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 Meryn Tafai who is our deputy director here at the institute in, in the first episode and she she mentioned how how supportive the environment is here so I guess we're quite lucky in that in that regards. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah, not everyone has the same opportunity, but um, 
but the more people that do something a little bit different to mm. everybody else and whether mm. that's women or anybody right, doing something a little bit different the more that we understand how to accommodate those differences and the better it is for the next person that comes yeah yeah along yeah are you so, seeing uh, with, with the young students that are coming through the female students that are coming through there is it a bit easier for them or are they a bit uh, I think so I think certainly at an undergrad and probably PhD level uh, what we need to try and nurture now is that next step is keeping them engaged and interested for that postdoc and then into leadership positions I'm talking more sort of internally but yeah. I don't know what you think it's the same but mm-hmm. I think that's where if you look at the structures we're lacking a little bit on the, that side perhaps right, right. yeah I guess that being supportive making sure that everybody sees the opportunities everybody applies for promotions when they should yeah. apply for promotions Right. Um, and making sure that it's well communicated. Yeah. How the career pathway works and what can be done to improve things is something we have to continuously yeah. work on. Yeah. Mm. So, Alice, you're leading an international team that's developed the world's first virtual pregnancy. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So, one of the ABI's main focuses of research is computational physiology so there's many many groups here that have developed computational virtual representations of organs or organ systems the heart the lungs Um, pregnancy has kind of lagged behind these other um, virtual organs it's um, a very very difficult time to study we can't do really invasive tests or high resolution imaging that involves radiation on a pregnant woman there's two bodies involved the baby and the mum who could both be contributing to healthy or unhealthy pregnancies so um, it's kind of a, a tricky time to look at which is why for me it's really exciting because there's so many questions to answer. Um, and so what we've been trying to do is to take some of the things that we've learned from all these years of studying kind of mature and diseased organs and apply them to this time where there's a really dramatic change. And so what we're trying to do really is focus on new ways to look at pregnancy. Can we do things a little bit different and see in a little bit more detail what is actually happening during a normal healthy pregnancy and that involves things like MRI imaging and once we can see things in a little bit more detail can we represent those um, the physiology of pregnancy on a computer and understand more about what it is that contributes to things going wrong in the cases where something does go wrong and then to go back to the kind of imaging that we might do in a that we can afford to do in pregnancy and that we can do easily things like ultrasound and look at them a little bit more intelligently because um, ultrasound for pregnancy was developed in the 80s and really it's not much different now Mm. than it is it was back then 
there's new technologies, but we're not really doing anything new diagnostically because so much of pregnancy has until recently been invisible to the world. So given there's been so many advances in technology in the last couple of decades, um, we're now able to look at things so much more Mm. closely. And um, really the virtual pregnancy is about tying all those bits of information together on a computer and improving the way that we do ultrasound or any other tests to detect problems much quicker. Right. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be such an amazing breakthrough and something so needed because it has been hidden for a long time. It's impossible to... It's amazing how little we know about that. Yeah. Mm. And who's in that team? Like how... Where's the research spread out? So um, myself and Joe James, who's based in obstetrics and gynecology, um, lead the team. And so she is kind of primarily in charge of the physiological aspects, any experiments that we do. And I'm in charge of the computational mathsy side of things. So it's definitely co-located between here and... Um, Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences here at Uni of Auckland. And then we work with people internationally and locally on this. So clinicians at Auckland City Hospital um, are really helping us to get to see pregnant women and to conduct MRI imaging during healthy pregnancies. Um, There's researchers in the UK who are specialists in ultrasound imaging and in analysis of imaging and in MRI methods and the great thing about borrowing and learning from people in the UK is they see so many more pregnancies than we see here in Mm. New Zealand Um, and then other groups in Australia are also working with us to kind of test out the technologies that we're trying to develop so it's all about bringing in people with skills from different areas and putting them together within the basis of the virtual pregnancy so it's Mm. been really exciting kind of getting out and meeting people and learning new techniques Mm. and skills yeah great and and Jenny you've had um, a a bit of success with some commercialization recently I, I think commercialization of our research is one of the main goals here at the Institute. We're always looking for new opportunities to launch startup companies, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is great for employing our talented scientists and, and good for the New Zealand economy. Um, do you want to talk a bit about your startup company? Yeah, so um, as you say, one of the goals here is this translational research, and my interest has always been in. Um, promoting, I guess, self-management of certain conditions. And my passion is also to look for other ways that women can manage their pelvic floor health in particular. And rather like pregnancy, it's a very difficult area because you can't see anything. It's hard to visualize. Mm. Um, But one of the issues is urinary incontinence, which is related to pelvic floor function. Maybe not such a great topic, but it is something that's really prevalent and 
one in four women will have urinary incontinence some point in their lives and it's something that can be easily resolved with a little bit of conservative management and so that involves usually pelvic floor muscle exercises or kegels as you may know them yeah. um, it, this concept's not new it's been around probably since the 1940s but what has always been a problem is that people women in particular don't do their exercises mainly because it's difficult to know if you're doing them correctly and also adhering to them for a long period of time is boring and um, not something that uh, people follow through with so the symptoms don't resolve so they give up so we've developed some instrumentation which we hope will really help and um, it's novel in that it is a wearable device it is an intravaginal device but it's wearable and it's connected to uh, an app on your phone and so it can give you some direct feedback as to what's happening and um, we are really excited now that we have this opportunity to potentially commercialize this with a startup company mm. so um, actually as of last week we employed our first CEO so we're quite excited about that too. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> uh, we do work really closely with other groups and so this research, although it's been my passion, has also been driven really by clinicians that I work closely with. So it's not it's not just a research question that we've come up with in academia. Mm. This has been driven by clinical need. So we got a lot of advice and input from uh, urogynecologists, physiotherapists, people that work with women with incontinence all the time. And so that's been really helpful to guide us on what kind of features we should have and mm. how to get clinical endorsement behind something before we just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's also a lot of hurdles. It's been such a steep learning curve for me. I um, had no idea what it took to get something yeah. commercialized. So it's not a simple process. You need to really focus. You need to be aware of all kinds of other things that is pure research as we often are um, ignorant of so things like quality management systems and design control and mm. adhering to different standards and lots of iterating and going around in circles but um, at the end if you get a product your product has to be safe and medically sound as well as approved by all the regulatory bodies and that's yes. not a easy process mm. so I guess you're, you're targeting international markets as well eventually yeah, yeah. sure we'll be targeting and so for that you do need approvals from all these regulatory bodies and mm. that isn't um, so the FDA approvals and the CE marking for your products are not a small thing to do yeah so we're on that journey mm. yeah so when uh, when what's the timeline for launching? so we're hoping to have a New Zealand release by the end of the year if, oh great! Yeah, and then our next market will be into Australia, which will probably be around April next mm. year. So we've got a bit of work still to do with some clinical studies, and then we'll file for TGA approval in April. And I'm not sure after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very exciting! It might be a good, uh, a busy Christmas. So it will be a busy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it is exciting. It's. 
<laughs> will you uh, will it be hard to still find time for the the research side of things? Do you think? Oh, so the research will continue in parallel. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's still important that we do do research, and I think there are a lot of people there that are involved with our group that are keen to use the instrument as a research instrument as well as something right. that can be a commercial mm. device. So, yes, definitely. Great. I think something that sets aside the work that you're doing from some of the other things that might be on the market is that it really is yeah. research-driven yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So we are hopeful that we, we do have that point of difference and that will help with the commercialization of it as well as help women themselves. So Exactly. Yep. And do you uh, have any advice for a young woman coming up today in, in STEM? Be tenacious. Keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't give up. Um, I really think... do something that's important to you. Yes. Mm. It's advice for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the only way you can be tenacious is to be really into it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to really be passionate about what you're wanting to do. Um, as Alice said, there are lots of support now for women who want to take time out for maternity leave or for other life events, but it's difficult to come back from that mm. sometimes if you don't really have that driving interest. Yeah. Um, sometimes mm. um, and if you don't do or don't know what's yeah. possible sure. so one example is um, a lot of people don't go to conferences after they've had a child because they want to stay at home right, with their child yeah. mm. and I a little bit randomly just take my child with me yeah. <laughs> and sometimes he sits in the conferences sometimes yeah. he stays with family sometimes I organise someone to from to look after him during the important parts and a lot of people actually do that yeah but you probably don't notice until you've got one of your own mm. that that is <coughs> that is happening so there are lots of things you work around you can do mm. yeah right. and I think things are becoming easier now in terms of that like working from home or working mm. remotely uh, working not standard hours to fit in yeah um, seems to be easier these days than it was so there's no those constraints shouldn't be as in the forefront as they perhaps used to be so great uh, how about the the funding like how how is your research funded hmm. so I um, have had a couple of fellowships hmm. um I had a Aotearoa Foundation Fellowship, which Jenny also had, which kept us both for three years, three years. able to develop our research focuses. Um, since then, I've had a Rutherford Discovery Fellowship from the Royal Society of New Zealand, and also grant funding at various scales. I tend to start with an idea, get a few thousand dollars to do a bit of work towards that idea and then to go for bigger grants like Marsden or HRC grants and I've had funding from both of those agencies which, which has mostly been for the kind of 
basic science side of research. And so into the future, when you kind of look into whether any of the technologies that we're developing might be useful in an ultrasound machine or um, in a technology, then it moves more towards the the more kind of um, translational mm. funding sources. But so far, I've been doing pretty basic science, and um, right. but yeah. various sources of funding from all. Mm. Or basically searching for anything you can get. Mm. <laughs> My funding um, has been similar to Alice in that I did have a Aotearoa fellowship to actually was my second fellowship. The first one was the Rutherford and then the Aotearoa. And again, um, when you are primarily in research, so within the institute we don't, people can, but traditionally we are full-time researchers. Mm. So we need to fund ourselves, basically. And I've um, had a few HRC grants, Explorer grants, that help to establish um, some of your research fields. And then I was lucky to be one of the PIs on a large Ministry of Business, Employment and Education, MB. I can't remember what that stands for. <laughs> One of the MB grants, and uh, that is smart sensing for the medical industry. So it is around development of uh, instrumentation for eventual commercialization, and it is about measuring pressure, both acute and chronic pressure within the body. So that is a large grant, and it has supported most of our research and development for the FEMFIT, which is the device we've been developing. Mm. Um, so we've been fortunate. It's not ending, though. We still look for funding to support ourselves as well as our research. Mm. Something we should both mention is that we made ourselves sound very successful then. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we've had a lot of yeah. no's. Yeah. Uh, three in one week recently. So yeah. Oh, really? So um, mm. the, there's at least as many no thanks as Oh, absolutely. And over the 10 years that we've been here, I think in my funding folder, there must be at least 15, if not more, applications for different funding bodies, Mm. of which probably a very small percentage are successful. And sometimes you get funding for some of the stuff, right? You might get funding for a student stipend, but not for the materials that you need for them to build something or vice versa you've got some money to do something but nobody to do it to do it mm-hmm. um and so a, a lot about kind of getting more funding is um, making the most of those um small little things even if it's not mm. ideal mm. trying to work with other people around the place to yep. um, keep these things moving yeah. Mm. yeah, so part of the f- development of this instrumentation is not just informing how to do stuff, it is about education in a broader sense. Mm. Um, and getting the word out there, let's talk about it. Is, uh, you know, exercise induced leakage is not normal. Um, light bladder leakage is not normal. Mm. So for me, that's really important as well. So I think something that Jenny and I are both passionate about is education and talking about we're both in the women's women's health, health area and um not just because we're women but the, no. uh we're, we're both in areas where there is not a lot of discussion about things that are not normal mm. and so 
for example, like Jenny said, it's not normal to wear yourself a little bit when you're exercising hard, mm. even if there's YouTube videos suggesting that it yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> When you go to an antenatal class, almost always all you learn about is the normal part of things, how everything is going to be yeah. very happy and shiny and right. nobody's going to be involved in your yeah. um, birth. But actually only... 30% of pregnancies are without any medical intervention, so okay, well. um, that's normal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so it is something that it's really important that when we're doing research in this area that we don't just tell other researchers about yeah. that we It is get about out. communicating to the general public as well as mm. the scientific mm. community. And so that people don't feel so alone when they, mm. when something does happen right so you know chances are you won't have anything bad going on with your pregnancy your childbirth probably won't end you in such a way that you have a major um, issue for the rest of your life but you might have a small issue here and there and that um, the research that we're doing has a lot of potential to to help people through that and to kind of explain mm. why yeah, or to how understand that yeah. those things are happening to them mm. Mm. yeah and that's an exciting part of our research too yeah I mean that's that's what it's all about helping people help you know improving uh, medicine and in and, uh, and that field yeah okay well thank you for your time today um, thanks for listening as well uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Jenny and Alice, you can look on our website. Their, their research groups have pages there on abi.auckland.ac.nz. Or you can uh, follow us on social media as well. We're always posting stories about our talented women and their achievements. So, uh, yeah, and stay tuned for the next episode as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. To find out more, visit our website www.abi.auckland.ac.nz